if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Bob Fratz Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two is underway now. <clears throat> Nine minutes past 10 o'clock. Thanks for being with us on this Thursday, the 29th, penultimate morning and penultimate morning of the month of October in the year of our Lord 2020. We are now just five days away from deciding the future of this country. If you are a believer, friends, and I just posted this on my Facebook page, which is the only social media really that I have left. I really do need to engage parlor a little bit more, but since I left um, the hateful, anti-conservative, toxic atmosphere of Twitter, and Facebook isn't a ton better, but it, it is by a slight margin. All I use is Facebook now, but as I just told my Facebook followers, if you are a supporter of capitalism, constitution, and country, and that makes you a supporter of President Trump, and conservatism, and if you are worried or dispirited by the recent polling numbers that tell you President Trump can't win, I said on Facebook, tune in to whkradio.com now. Of course, if you're here, you've either been here or you got that message. And the reason I want you to tune in for this segment is I want to give you information that the polling services don't want you to have that the mainstream media don't want you to have, that the Democrat Party does not want you to have. They want you to remain dispirited. They want you to remain negative. They want you to continue to believe that Joe Biden is going to win this election because it may keep enough people at home feeling as though they are showing up to vote in an election that is already over. So why wait in that line? Why stand in that weather? Because it is going to be outdoors. The line is going to be outdoors at every polling location on Tuesday, as it already is at boards of elections for those who are voting early. Because people are being forced to wait six feet apart because of social distancing, what I call antisocial distancing, and all the rest. Why should I go through the mask and the, the wait outside if it's not going to change anything? So this is their goal. A little over a week ago, not this past Tuesday, but the previous Tuesday, Peter Kirshnow was on with us with some extraordinary information <coughs> that he wanted to share with us. 
And I could not write it down fast enough because Pete is a talker, and he was just kept on going. I asked him if he could give me the, the data that he cited on the air. And he said, well, it isn't in any one place. I compiled it, <laughs> which just, is so, it's just so cursing out. This is what he does. He's meticulous. He does his research and his homework. And he gathered all of this information for me, and he put it in a series of nine emails. And I wish to share this information with you now to let you know that this is not only not over, that this is so much more likely that President Trump wins re-election than anybody wants you to believe. So quoting Peter Kersenow, Although most of these polls are favoring a Biden win, these are the same polls that proved disastrously wrong in 2016 and in 2018. Remember, (laughs) the most storied polling organization in history, Gallup, actually stopped doing candidate polling in 2015, stating that because of technology like cell phones, etc., it was no longer possible to even be remotely accurate. So Gallup stopped. And right now, Peter tells me, Joe Biden is appreciably behind where Hillary Clinton was in the battleground states that decided the 2016 election. So let's get into some of these specifics. The president is ahead in all of the most historically reliable predictors. Voter enthusiasm. Trump has the highest voter enthusiasm numbers in history. Biden has the lowest of a major party candidate in history. The national enthusiasm gap is 20 points. That's the largest in history. In comparison, the gap between President Trump and Hillary in 2016 was just 12 points. More astonishing, in the key battleground states, the average gap right now is over 30 points in favor of President Trump. Now, I'm going to stop and editorialize on a little bit of this, because that should be obvious to you what that says. The Democrats don't like Joe Biden or Kamala Harris any more than you do. That's why they're not enthusiastic about this this ticket. What they are excited about is their hatred, their TDS, their Trump derangement syndrome, their hatred for orange man bad. But they don't get excited about their actual candidate that is running. And because the conservative Trump supporters are beyond excited about voting again for a president who has kept his promises and whose policies have led to some extraordinary gains in the United States of America in so many different ways prior to the arrival of the Chinese coronavirus, that gap is enormous. And again, comparing it to 2016 when the gap was only 12 in enthusiasm over Hillary Clinton. Next, responses to the question, are you better off than you were four years ago? This is known to be the most reliable predictor of an incumbent's win. Anything above an approximately 45% affirmative response to that question means that the incumbent wins. For example, Barack Obama got 44% response, uh, affirmative response to the question, are you better off than you were four years ago? 44% yes in 2012 and beat Mitt Romney. Trump got a 56% affirmative response this month, even in the era of coronavirus. That's the highest affirmative response in history, beating the previous high of 47.5% of President Reagan in 1984. And what happened that year? Reagan won every state except Minnesota, which is Mondale's home state. 
That indicator is massive, friends. You don't see this in the polling. But that's enormous. Next, primary vote. No incumbent president running for re-election who received more than 75% of his party's primary vote has ever lost. President Trump received 94%, the highest in history. Understand that. The highest for either party. He received more, a higher percentage of Republican votes in the primaries than Barack Obama did in he, when he ran for re-election. Than Ronald Reagan did when he ran for re-election. Than, than Bill Clinton did when he ran for re-election. All of them won re-election easily. Next, party affiliation response. Gallup polling, Gallup polls of party affiliation every month. In the last 237 months, the GOP has beaten the Democrats in party affiliation only three times. Twice in early 2002, when George Bush had historically high approval ratings after 9-11, and this month. If the Democrats don't beat the Republicans by at least five points in party affiliation, Republicans win. For example, in 2004, Democrats led Republicans by five points, 49 to 44. Yet Bush still beat Kerry. In 2009, Democrats led by 11 points, 52 to 41, and Obama did indeed beat McCain. In 2012, the Democrats led by five and a half points, 49 and a half to 44, and Obama beat Romney. In 2016, Democrats led by seven points, 49-42, yet Trump still beat Clinton. And today, the GOP leads 49-48, the first time it has led in party affiliation in nearly 20 years. Look at the metrics. Listen to the reality. Next, the shy Trump voter. 68% of Republicans either do not respond to candidate polls when asked, or they respond falsely. That's because they don't trust pollsters. And they fear getting canceled, fear of losing their jobs, fear of losing friends, etc., if they go public with their stated preference. That figure has exploded since 2016. Only 34% of Democrats have indicated they will not respond to polls. 68% of Republicans have said the same. And this next part to me, I think, is as big as anything in terms of real reliability in in predicting what's going to happen on Tuesday. Peter Kersenow cited the following, citing sources, personal sources. In 2016, President Trump got 77% of the Republican vote. Now, I want you to listen to that again. In 2016, the Republican nominee, Donald Trump, got 77% of the Republican vote. That's a big number that did not vote for him that are Republicans. 23% of Republican voters either voted for Hillary or did not vote in 2016. In election, Donald Trump won. Well, that 77% of the Republican vote in 2016 has been ratcheted up. He is now projected to get 94% of Republican votes this time. 
add that 94% projection to the number of expected voters, which you can look at the first uh, uh, predictor, the first metric I gave you, which is voter enthusiasm, in which the huge gap that President Trump has over Joe Biden in voter enthusiasm is 20 points means there are going to be more Republicans voting and 94% of them are going to vote for Donald Trump. 6% say they're going to either vote for the Joe Biden, the Democrat candidate, or not vote at all. That's massive. Nobody talks about that. You're not going to see that headline when you see the latest USA Today poll or the latest um, you know, Rasmussen poll or the latest any of them, latest any of them, Wall Street Journal. Here's more. The evangelical vote. President Trump got 81% of evangelicals to vote for him in 2016. A lot of them were turned off by, remember, the Access Hollywood tape and the, you know, all of the, the graphic sort of things. 81% of the evangelical vote voted for Donald Trump in 2016. Projected to get 90% of them this time. The president got 28% of the Hispanic vote in 2016. Projected to get 36% of the Hispanic vote this time. President Trump, in his victory over Hillary Clinton in 2016, got 24% of the Jewish vote. That's projected to go up slightly to 28% this time. Hold that hold that music. And now let's talk about what everybody's talking about, the black vote. President Trump got 8% of the black vote against Hillary Clinton. Hillary got 92% of it. President Trump is expected, or projected rather, according to those who crunch these numbers cited by Peter Kersena, to go to get nearly double that 8%. He is projected to get 15% of the black vote. Meanwhile, the mainstream media presumes President Trump is going to lose a lot of suburban white women, which is plausible. But as Peter pointed out, in a time of riots, surging crime, and Democrat calls to defund the police, making these suburban neighborhoods much more dangerous. The likelihood that there will be a massive defection of white women to the Democrats that do not believe in law or law enforcement is highly unlikely. And if there are some of them that are going to do that, there aren't nearly enough of them to offset the increase from the groups that I just mentioned. Republican voters, evangelicals, Hispanic Catholics, Jews, and the black vote. That is massive. Now we'll take that time out here, and I want to give you the rest of this incredibly important information, which di- completely you know, disputes and, and, and casts all of these polling numbers you keep hearing about how Joe Biden's got in the bag. It just tosses it all out with the trash. I'll give you more of that coming up right after this on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1026, I want to finish this because you need to hear the good news. You need to hear the news that the mainstream media doesn't want you to know. They're going to just tell you Biden leads by seven points. It's insurmountable. Biden leads by nine points. It's insurmountable because Hillary Clinton led by those same points. And guess what? She got surmounted, didn't she? It was surmountable. It was indeed overcomable, and that's exactly what Peter Kersenow's homework and research here is showing. If you are willing to take the time to listen, and, and you know he's willing to take the time to do it, we ought to listen. If half, uh, listen to the part about the Hispanic vote. 
Trump got 28% of the Hispanic vote in 2016, projected to get 36% this time. Note that if the increase in Hispanic votes come mainly from those who voted for Hillary but are now switching to Trump, as opposed to mostly new voters, these are existing voters who went one way going back the other way, Trump would net 4.4 million more votes. If the increase among blacks also comes mainly from those who switched from Hillary, that's a net of up to 3.4 million more votes. So they don't have to be new voters. Regardless, if Trump gets 15% of the black vote, which is what Peter projects, it's game over. Kersenow's ironclad rule of presidential elections. The Dem candidate must get a minimum of 88% of a robust black turnout. If the Republican gets more than 12%, then the Democrat is toast. <clears throat> Hillary got, excuse me, Hillary got 92%. President Trump only got 8% and still beat her. If he gets 15%, forget it. Remember how Hillary won Pennsylvania, Michigan, Florida, and North Carolina in 2016? Absolutely crushed Trump, right? Big states with a lot of electoral votes. Oh, wait a minute. Trump won those states? Oh, yeah. But according to the RCP average, that's the Real Clear Politics average of polls, on October 20, 2016, Hillary was beating Trump by 6.8 in Pennsylvania, 12 points in Michigan, 4 in Florida, 3 in North Carolina. Yet Trump won all of those states. On October 20, 2020, same date, four years later, the RCP average is Biden up in Pennsylvania by 3.8 as opposed to 6.8 four years ago. 7.5 in Michigan as opposed to 12 in Michigan four years ago. One in Florida as opposed to four in Florida four years ago. And two points up in North Carolina compared to three in North Carolina. Trump came back to win from much bigger deficits in those battleground states four years ago than the deficits he faces right now. As a matter of fact, Biden's polling is appreciably worse than Hillary in the key battleground states. And that's before you factor in the explosion of shy Trump voters from 2016 to 2020. President Trump won the electoral vote 304 to 227 over Hillary. Takes 270 to win. He got 304. Biden needs 53 more electoral votes than Hillary got. Florida has 29. Pennsylvania has 20. Michigan has 16. North Carolina has 15. If the rest of the electoral map remains substantially the same as 2016, Biden needs to win three of those four states. But remember, in 2016, Hillary narrowly won Minnesota, which holds 10 electoral votes. Right now, there's a very good chance Trump picks up Minnesota, which means Biden would need 63 more electoral votes, which is almost impossible. Gallup does not do candidate polling any longer, as I noted at the beginning of this segment. But what they do do is party affiliation polls every month. In the poll conducted October 12th to, to uh, the 18th in 2004, this is Bush versus Kerry, Dems beat the Republicans in party affiliation 49-44. Two weeks later, Bush won anyway. In 2008, Democrats were up 52-41. to 41. That's an 11-point gap, and Obama beat McCain. In 2012, Dems were up by five points in party affiliation, and Obama did indeed, be, uh, did indeed beat Romney. In 2016, Democrats were up seven in party affiliation, yet Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton anyway. In the poll just completed, the same week, October 12th to October 18th of this year, 
President Trump and the GOP lead in voter or party affiliation by one point. If the Democrats do not have at least a five-point lead in party affiliation by this point, the GOP candidate wins. i got to take a break here for news, and then we're going to talk to Jack Windsor after that. But there's even more to this, and I will share it the best I can on my Facebook page. But by all means, make sure you recorded this or make sure you listen to our podcast page and share this with other people. Do not believe five days before the election that Joe Biden has an insurmountable lead. It is misinformation intended to dispirit Trump voters and to convince them to stay home. Why stand in the lines and in the rain and wait? Don't bother. It's a lie like everything else you get from the lamestream media. And I hope this proved it. I'll be right back with Jack Windsor. Okay, 1037. The Bob France Authority continues. 23 minutes of outstanding awesome left in this broadcast. It's about to get a little more outstanding, a little more awesome. As we say good morning to our friend Jack Windsor, managing editor at the Ohio Star, investigative journalist and reporter for WMFD Television in Mansfield, who continues to hold the feet to the fire of Governor Mike DeWine and Ohio's authorities, uh, continuing to act extraordinarily unreasonably in response to the ongoing Chinese coronavirus. Jack Windsor, it's been a little bit. Thanks for coming back on. How are you, sir? Bob France, I'm super fantastic. It's an honor to be back. Thank you for choosing me today. Jack, there's a lot of ground to cover here. I'm going to try to do more listening and less talking because I want you to cover as much of it as you can. Yesterday, an announcement was made that the state employees, all employees in the state of Ohio who can work from home, who are not essential to be in state offices, must work from home, not for the next two weeks to tamp something down, not even for the next two months, for the next seven months till May 28th of 2021. This is what the governor decreed yesterday. I, I cannot imagine what kind of a portent that is of things to come. If they're doing that to state employees first, is it going to then move to county employees, to all government employees, and then, of course, back to the full-on shutdown of private businesses in the state of Ohio? What do you, What is your read on what we heard yesterday? So, well, the read is confusing, and I'll tell you why, but give you a few more uh, facts. We found out that... Um, Actually, someone in the state government received an email, uh, and I posted a snippet of that yesterday, indicating, like you said, that state uh, employees were going to be working from home until May 28th of 2021. Uh, I also asked the governor a question yesterday in a uh, specially called uh, brief uh, briefing, and I asked about a tip that we received that he was calling businesses in red counties, uh, larger businesses, and encouraging uh, those business owners to keep their people at home. And as it turns out, both of those instances are true. So uh, the push is to keep state employees at home. The push is to keep uh, businesses operating, if they can, with employees at home. Here's why that's confusing. Last week, the governor and the lieutenant governor talked about, uh, and I think it was under the guise of mask mandates and compliance, that businesses are compliant, schools are compliant, and both spots are not sources of major spread. And then they went on to say that major spread is from people living everyday life at home, uh, that they're letting their guard down at home with friends or at private events with family and friends. So 
if these things are true and spread is coming from home, why are we pushing employees to their homes? It doesn't make sense to me. So to me, I'm extremely confused by that because the logic doesn't add up. No, it doesn't. Um, and when you asked uh, Tuesday, uh, Jack Windsor, about some of the decisions that are being made with respect to quarantining and telling people to stay at home, the response, and I'm reading this from your Ohio Star article that was posted this morning, uh, was that as far as quarantine, we're basically following what the best guidelines are, and we try to do that throughout the pandemic. This is, has been his same answer, no matter how many different ways you phrase similar questions, Jack, and others that are not there aren't very many others. But anybody who does ask those kinds of questions, he just constantly says these are the best guidelines. Well, if these are the best guidelines, and they have been followed for the last six months, and we are no better off according to them, now and that's another story as we talk about the real numbers on the Ohio dashboard. But according to his remarks, if we're no better off than we were before, then how are these the best guidelines? One might think it's time to change the guidelines, right? You would think. And I think what gets even more maddening is the, the, the dismissiveness with which you know, those answers come. Look, these are not, he, he said on Tuesday as well, I don't know any um, reputable professional who, right, and then fill in the blank and, and then goes on to criticize anything that's against the policies that you're using. I'm sorry, Dr. Right. Scott Atlas is probably pretty reputable. Uh, the thousands of doctors, scientists, and uh, epidemiologists from major universities that signed the Great Barrington Declaration are probably pretty reputable. The British Medical Journal is probably pretty reputable. So it, it is just this blinders on, I'm going to ignore it like it doesn't exist, and I'm just going to continue to repeat the same narrative. Um, and look, little things, and let me qualify, this virus is real. It is, it, it is extremely dangerous to some people. It has killed some people, um, but we know that 99% of us are going to be okay. But let's look at some of the, the policies, right? So we know that cases were actually on the decline uh, July 13th, which would have been 10 full days before the statewide mask mandate. Multiple times since then, the governor has said, hey, you, don't, you, you Ohioans are doing great. Mask compliance is at 80 to 90%. Okay, if that's the case and masks work, why are cases going up? So either they work or they don't work. But these are the things that they're not willing to dive into it's they've picked a direction, and they're going to go that direction. And there are reputable people who have said, "Look, well, how, how, fact- Jack, Jack, how deep does how deep does that dive have to be? Can't, I mean, isn't it as shallow as we're testing fifty thousand people for crying out loud? I mean that that's going to lead to a massive increase in positive cases. It does not lead to a massive increase in deaths because ninety nine point nine percent of the people uh, in our population who who are infected recover." Uh, 96%, yep. 90, half, 95 and a half percent of whatever it is of people over 70 with comorbidities also recover. So, so isn't the reality here is that yes, we are getting more positive diagnoses, positive test results right. because we are, we have increased the testing to, you know, to, to 50,000 tests a day for crying out loud. We've increased the testing. And the other thing that we've done is, is we've changed things that are not noted in the data. And what I mean by that is, it, is the PCR tests were largely uh, what I believe was being reported in the beginning. What we know now is that we're getting these antigen tests, these Binax Now tests that are created by Abbott. Mm-hmm. They're, they're being shipped you know, by the truckload to Ohio. And those things have an emergency use authorization by the FDA, but they're not FDA approved. 
And in their material, they clearly indicate uh, that these things pick up uh, non-viable COVID fragments, meaning that the person's neither infected nor infectious, and they pick up other viruses and bacterial infections. So when you're testing 50,000 people, I mean, just looking at the outlier of false positives, that's going to have a pretty significant number tied to it. And, you know, August 18th, Dr. Burke said in an interview that, you know, when people start to realize that 99% of us are going to be fine, it becomes more and more difficult to get people to comply. But what they're trying to do is they're trying to, trying to scare people into compliance. The governor was on a radio show in Cincinnati yesterday claiming that hospitalizations have, have doubled over the past three and a half weeks. Now, I can only see back uh, to about the 15th on the state website, and we can go over those numbers if you want. So about two weeks, but that's just a blatant lie. In, inpatient bed utilization actually has gone from 71% to 67%. ICU beds have gone from 66% to 63%. And ventilator capacity has gone from 25.54% on the 15th to 25.35% on the 28th. Now, the, the difference is that the COVID use of those things has gone up, but inpatient bed usage is at 5.6% COVID, ICU beds 9% COVID, and ventilator use 4% COVID. So now he's just blowing the trumpet of, of falseness. Um, and my belief is, tying back to Dr. Burks' statement, is that they're, they're afraid that people are casting off restraint, so they're going to continue you know, to trumpet the worst news that they can to try to make people comply. When it, we're talking to Jack Windsor, reporter for WMFD Television, as well as with uh, uh, managing editor at the Ohio Star. Um, Jack, I, I, I want to all you, 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 you interesting phrasing, blowing the trumpet of falsehoods. Uh, it's another way of saying is just flat out lying. Um, we need to be able to trust numbers. I, 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 somebody posted on my page a story a couple of days ago on my Facebook page about her children. And this story has gone viral and been picked up in a lot of other places. Her two toddler children received notifications from the Department of Health that they tested positive for coronavirus. Neither one of them were tested for coronavirus. Their father was, and their father got a, a, a false positive followed immediately by two negatives. And the children were never tested, and yet there they are being counted. Now, this is one small anecdotal story, but this is just one that somebody reported. How many others are there like like that? In other words, how much can we trust any of the numbers that they are giving us? First of all, it's not the hospitalizations are not up, as you point out. Ventilator use not. Death's not. The only thing that is up is cases, and we find out now they're manufacturing cases that don't exist, Jack. Yes, yes, and in fact, Bob, uh, deaths peaked on April 28th, and thank God we haven't come anywhere close to those numbers. Um, in fact, there was this run-up in cases. It began at the end of September, and we know that on average, deaths will reflect increases within about three weeks. So we're beyond that three-week mark, and uh, we've had time to see that run-up in cases reflect in hospitalization and deaths, and it's simply not there which means that, A, uh, a lot of people are testing positive who are either, you know, not sick or, um, you know, they're, they're not going to get the worst part of this virus, or we have some better therapeutics in place, and that when people do hit that, you start hitting that nosedive, we know how to take care of them now. And all of that points back to, again, I know I sound like I'm beating the same drum every time that we talk, but this started uh, when the governor asked for two weeks so that we could give hospitals time uh, to catch up and have enough capacity. 
hospitals. I talked to somebody with the Ohio State University Medical Center um, family of, of um, providers today, and he told me, and he's going to remain anonymous, that they're begging people to come into the hospital. They don't have enough people. Um, so Jack, I'll go better. I'll go one better there and give you a firsthand account. I was in the hospital a week and a half ago. I had some serious cough issues and some lung lung issues. Uh, I was diagnosed with pneumonia, and I and I went into the hospital. I went to the ER, and then I was admitted, and I stayed there for three days. It was a ghost town. I was yeah. the only person not wearing a white lab coat when I walked into the ER. Literally no one anywhere. And when they took me back, there was no one in the individual little rooms. When they admitted me, there was nobody else on the floor. Jack, I was firsthand dealing with pneumonia, and there's nobody there. The idea that we might have to reenact some sort of draconian measures to keep the uh, you know the curve flat so we don't overwhelm the hospitals, I'm, I mean, I'm an eyewitness to tell you it is just false. It is false, and when you think about, uh, you know, inpatient beds, ICU, uh, ventilator use, I mean, those, these are things that hospitals want to use, right? These are things that um, that bring in the revenue, and when they're not even at eighty percent capacity across the board, they're they're continuing to, to hemorrhage hemorrhage revenue. Um, and you know, the other thing that's interesting, I'll throw this out there, uh, and again, it's contrarian, but it's just true. And when you look at ICU bed utilization, well, the way that the state measures um, ICU usage, according to the Ohio Public Health Advisory System, is that you can be in the emergency department for COVID-like illnesses, and that can trigger. So the fact that that is the highest level of you know COVID um, will be in ICU beds kind of makes sense to me, because uh, it's a little easier to fudge that number, um, because it can be a COVID-like illness that has somebody in the ICU or emergency department. Jack, we're a little short on time here, but can you give us a thumbnail version of another piece that you worked on and, and posted this morning at the Ohio Star website, and that is the John Becker, uh, Dave Yost, Mike DeWine uh, situation. We all know that John Becker is going after Mike DeWine to try to stop him. Uh, in you know, uh, He wants uh, charges to be investigated uh, against the governor and his unconstitutional orders, etc. Uh, where does Dave Yost fall into this? This is kind of breaking news. As you know, Becker filed um, that private uh, citizen affidavit in Claremont County, and uh, he alleged that DeWine has committed seven felonies and three misdemeanors. And the way that the law is written, the prosecutor there is supposed to investigate or arrest. Well, within five hours of of getting the um, affidavit, the prosecutor passed on it, and then Becker went to the 12th District Court of Appeals, also in Claremont County, and said, hey, I'm, I'm going to file this writ of mandamus, which is to try to get the prosecutor, compel the prosecutor through the court to actually investigate. Well, when he did that, uh, Attorney General Yost filed a brief um, as a friend of the court, and in that brief said this is a political stunt, it's absurd, and the, the representative needs to be sanctioned and basically pay court costs and spend a day in the legal system so that he can see how he's draining um, judicial resources by, by pulling a stunt like this. So Becker turned around um, and actually filed um, a motion with the court uh, demanding that Yost uh, resign and that he be sanctioned. Um, and then he called that what he calls it a stunt by Yost. He called it uh, harassment and intimidation um, of him and, and other Ohioans. I, apparently there have been 
about, uh, I want to say, 14 other private citizen affidavits filed in other counties around Ohio, and about 40 other counties uh, have people that are considering or in the process of filing these private citizen affidavits against the governor. That's uh, that's some pretty heady stuff, and I know it's getting ugly, and I know there are a lot of people who are laughing at Becker, and certainly that's what uh, Yost and uh, and others are doing as well. Um, but he and and very precious few others in Columbus are actually trying to stand up for the citizens of the state of Ohio against a governor that is taking measures that are beyond well, unconstitutional is one thing, and and criminal, which uh, you know the allegations are here are, are quite another, and they absolutely deserve to be investigated. And I hope that the attorney general's office will will come through with that. I, have, I don't have a lot of faith in it, but I have hope. Uh, Jack, I didn't get a chance to get to Partners in Health. You put another post together about them yesterday that was very important. Let's make sure we talk again very early next week, maybe even uh, on Monday before we get to Election Day Tuesday, because I really want people to know uh, the importance of that relationship between Mike DeWine, the state of Ohio, and Partners in Health, and all of the decisions that are being made with respect to Ohio's economy in response to this pandemic. So let's make sure that we do that. We'll do it. It would be an honor. Thanks again for having me, Bob. Have a blessed Jack, rest of the Jack day. Windsor, keep up your great work. Really, nobody else is doing it the way that you are, and we certainly want you to know it's appreciated. All right, that's Jack Windsor on AM 1420, The Answer. We'll take our final time out and come back on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, friends, uh, short, 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 short segment here to wrap it up. Uh, don't have time for calls. I told you at the top of the show today we had three big guests. We were loaded up and we didn't have a ton of opportunities for calls today, and that turned out to be true. We'll make sure we leave a lot of room for you on tomorrow's program to call. And I want you to do something between now and then, particularly if you are a Trump voter. A Like I said, you believe in the three C's. You believe in uh, capitalism, constitution, and country. And you believe in America first. If you are dispirited or if you know people who are really worried about the polls, I want you to play for them the 10 o'clock to 1030 segment of this show from our podcast page, whkradio.com. Look on the podcast page, local podcast, Bob Brands Authority, hour two today. It gives you a ton of information that lets you know we are in the driver's seat and we control our own destiny. Do not believe the lies of the individual candidate polling services. Believe the information assembled by Peter Kersenow and share that with everybody you know. Do that between now and then, and then tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, we will free for all Friday together. We'll see you then.